Well, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We praise God. So glad to have you join us again this afternoon as we study the word tonight. I'm excited about this study tonight again. We've been dealing with the theme, Living Faith in Stressful Times. This is part 18 of this series that we have been working through and looking at the book of Genesis and some of the stressful situations in the life of Jacob. And uh, we're looking at his family and some of those things that came upon them. Let's pray and let's get into the word. God, we just love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in worship. We thank you for those who are tuning in tonight. May you open up their minds, their hearts, and their spirits to receive what the Spirit says to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Again, we're looking at the end of Genesis chapter 34. The end of Genesis chapter 34. I'll read just a couple of verses to set the context for what we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, let's start at verse 26. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house where she was staying and left. Then Jacob, other sons, came upon those who were killed and looted the town because their sister had been defiled and disgraced. They took the Canaanites' flocks and their herds and their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, and they looted all their wealth and took captive all their children and their wives, even everything that was in the house. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have ruined me, making me a stench to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, my men are few in number, and the men of the land will band together against me and attack me. I shall be destroyed and I and my household. But they said, should he be permitted to treat our sister as a prostitute? This is a difficult uh, text. And again, I suggest to you it's difficult and it's one of those obscure texts in the Bible. You don't have a lot of people writing about it or, or reading about it. Uh, feminist and womanist. Uh, a feminist writer would be a woman who looks at female issues in scripture and text. And a womanist writer would be an African-American woman or those who are concerned in those areas who would look at it from a, a womanist perspective. We would look at it uh, as an African-American looking at text. They, they are thinking about it and talking about it, but as a rule, you don't have a lot of sermons preached about it in Bible and, and, and from the pulpit. You don't have a lot of Bible studies about it. It's a text that is there. Um, most people will read it once and they'll never read it again because it is really hard to talk about rape and murder. And to put it another way, it's really hard to talk about rape and near genocide. Near because they kept the women and children. It's hard to read about that. It's hard to read and think that people of faith would do such a thing. And it's hard to read and think that people of faith might do such a thing and justify it. Or that God would establish that it should be done. It's, it's, a, it's a horrible thing to read. This, this text gives us pause and it gives us trouble. But just because it gives us pause and gives us trouble and it's hard to read doesn't mean it shouldn't be read. It doesn't mean that we should not, as a body of Christ, 
look at those scriptures that speak to patriarchy or male-dominated perspective, or those scriptures that speak to the way in which females were treated almost as though they had no agency, that their lives and their bodies were to be bartered for the usage of men, that one could be taken and exploited and for money compensated and it would be as though it never took place, that at times there would be no punishment for or no judgment cast upon some male perpetrator who exploited women. It becomes hard to read because when you read texts like this, you're wondering in here, where's God? Of course, because there's very little mention of God in this text. You're wondering, how can this be? Uh, if you're the woman, you're wondering, how did God let this happen? Um, and you're, you're really fearful about how people can become so vengeful that they will uh, think it's okay to take out an entire generation. All those things come to mind. But what else comes to mind is that Jacob, by divine intent, is to be the, in the line that will bring forth the Jewish people, that will be the outgrowth, into a nation and into a people and ultimately into a city and into now a state. And that Jacob's life has already been foretold and predicted and prophesied and spoken of in the line with Abraham and Isaac to be one of those whose gene pool would bring forth the Messiah ultimately later, would be one of those who would be a person of faith. And so when one sees this act, one has to say, <coughs> what, why is it here? One writer would like to say that this, I think it's Jerry Von Rod who, who puts in his uh, exegetical work, and Jerry Von Rod is one of the greatest, and I do mean that, one of the greatest uh, interpreters of Old Testament scriptures. Uh, on this, we disagree. But uh, he was one of the ones who almost put this in the context that this might have been an old story, an archaic story being used to talk about why the children of Israel moved when they moved that this was not a actual situation that happened in the life of Jacob. I don't think that that is probably correct. I, I think that it's here because it's something that took place reprehensibly, regrettably, uh, it, it happened. But at the same time, <clears throat> there are lessons to be learned, things to understand. Um, and one of the things I said last week, I wanna repeat a couple of those things as I set up tonight's lesson. Because Jacob, if he is to be this person that God has ordained to be, God has to somehow work with him and through him to get through this situation. Now, one of the things I wish we had more of, I wish we had uh, Dinah's voice. I would love to know what she was thinking. I wish we had a story of how Dinah got healed of some counseling, of some comfort, 
of the women of her, of her village, of her community coming around her and, and offering up help and support. I wish we had that. We have her being taken by this young man, Shechem, brought into his place, raped, treated as her brothers would describe as a prostitute, usable to be put back out to be used as someone that belongs to the streets. And then we have her taken by her brothers out of his house where she had been staying. We dealt with this a little bit last week, so I don't want to go in deep in that, but we have her taken out of that house. But we have nothing about her arrival back at home, what took place, or any kind of consoling that would have been necessary for a woman so defiled, not only defiled privately, but who, who is now publicly known as having been defiled and publicly known as having been uh, a part of what has been one of the most heinous crimes. I wish we had that information. But what we do have is this, one of the, the ideas that this text pushes us towards is an understanding of God's relationship with Jacob and God's relationship ultimately with Abraham and the promise made to Abraham. And so it is in that context, I'll deal with this a little bit tonight, and then I'll talk about some of the interpretations of the text as I move along. I wanna suggest again that the heinous act of the sons did not cancel the promise and purpose placed on the life of God's servant. And I need to say that because you need to know one of the most disturbing things in life is to see people go through stuff and still succeed. And you wonder how they were succeeding when in your estimation and maybe even in mine, if I had done that, I would not have success after. But they'll do it and they'll still succeed. And I've had to come to grips with this, and this is a hard thing to deal with. I've had to come to grips with the fact that there are some things that are in the divine purpose and plan of God that will not be thwarted by the ignorance of those who are part of that plan. In other words, God will still get done what God wants to get done, even if the people involved lose themselves in the process. That's why the Apostle Paul would later come back and say, I preach to myself also, lest I be a castaway. And what he's saying in there, suggesting is that one could actually be used by God in the preachment moment, be used to, to deal and serve the Lord in scripture and teaching and training and all the rest and lose one's own soul. So that the purpose that God has of salvation and deliverance of people is greater than the individual that's being used. And this is something that people need to get. You need to recognize that because if you think that material gain or success or, or someone doing something spectacular is, is, is the be all end all as a sign that God is with them and somebody who's doing a smaller work that appears to be minor in your life, in your mind, in your mindset is, is nothing in God's sight, you have missed it. 
Because this person over here working and toiling in this smaller community with this smaller work may actually be more in line and in tune with what God wants for them personally than this person that appears to be succeeding publicly. So the thing that I am also encouraged by or should share with you is the fact that those boys, their moral ethical failure did not diminish God's relationship with Jacob. Their moral ethical failure did not diminish God's relationship with Jacob. Now why is this important? I can name any number of well-known, let's stick with the African-American community, within the African-American community, well-known pastors who have children that have done things that are nefarious and who are still well-known, still doing great, still moving on, churches still glowing, blossoming, and God's still using them. Some of us in the church outside, external to their experience, not their members, because their members accept them and understand what's going on. They receive them in, in what's happening in their life. Some of us outside look and say, my God, how can that be so? You should train up a child in the way it should go. They should be perfect. They should be holy. They should lift up the bloodstained banner. They should do this. And you have to know that their moral ethical failure does not reshape the relationship God has with God's person. So I, I put it this way, you are not responsible for the failure of those you nurture. You're not responsible for the failure of those you nurture. Now, this is, this is a difficult one to, to grab hold of because some of you mothers, particularly mothers, carry in your heart when your children are not successful or when things go wrong with them or what have you. And some of you fathers do the same thing who are nurturers by nature. Not all fathers have been gifted with a nurturing spirit. They, many of them have been gifted with protective spirits and with, with, uh, with spirits that cause them to want to provide. So they've been putting it in the earth realm with a provision, with a protection. They, they've been putting in the earth realm with a procreation in their nature and they don't really know how to be nurturers. And that's an unfortunate thing because men need to know how to nurture. And I'm not saying I'm, the, I'm great at it, but I'm certainly trying to listen to my wife and learn how to be it. Well, I, and I noticed I said listen to my wife because she has to say, okay, I know you just said that, but there might be a better way you can phrase that. You know, you might be able to put a little more sugar on that one. That one, that needed, you, you know, I, I was sharing with a friend today, you know, uh, mama, mama when I was young, and some of y'all had a mama like my mama. She from the South. My mother was born in, uh, in the Sheffield Moles area of Alabama. Sheffield, Moses, and Florence, right there in Alabama, just on the upside, just above Huntsville area there. She was born there, and so she had a lot of Southern ways. And one of the things was that every now and then, mama thought you needed to get cleaned out. So you, you might be being, getting sickly or whatever. So she would give you a tablespoon of castor oil. 
Now, mama knew you couldn't take that castor oil like that. So she would put it in some soda, some orange juice, and say, just drink it all. Because she knew you needed the castor oil to clean out your system. But she also knew that you couldn't get it past your senses, your sense of taste, your sense of smell. You couldn't get it past your senses without something covering it up even though it was going to be good for you. Oh, you teaching here tonight, Pastor. Yeah, so, so she would put something with it. And I've had to learn that even if you have something good that is going to be cleansing and helpful, you have to learn how to put a chaser with it. Ooh, that's good teaching right there. And so we have to learn. But, but one of the things that, that as I... As I work through this text we have a habit of putting people down when they fail we have a habit of throwing people away and I said this last week and it bears being reiterated I don't care how bad your children are I don't care how bad your cousin is, your nephew, your niece. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care how they hurt you. I don't care how bad your auntie hurt you. I don't care how bad your uncle hurt you. I don't care how bad anyone hurt At some point, for your own sake, you have got to resign from the cancel culture. You've got to resign from canceling people because you have to remember, you do not want to be canceled by God. And you remember the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. You don't want to be canceled. You don't want to send out that spirit of cancellation. So you want to make sure you're careful not to be a canceller. And I'm so glad I can say it unequivocally. There is no cancel culture with God. There is no cancel culture with God. I see some of y'all online say, you remember, y'all, I know y'all remember that. Yes, you do. You don't have to look at Castor There's no cancel culture with God. So, so that to say that are the three things I lifted up last week before I get into the seven things of this text tonight. I said last week that promises are not canceled. Promises are not canceled. No, that's the first thing I told you. Promises are not canceled. It's important you get that. If God makes a promise, he doesn't cancel it. He doesn't cancel it. Promises are not canceled. The second thing I said is that people are complex. They're complex. They're no one-dimensional individual. Some person could be kind in one area and mean in another. Uh, I saw a thing uh, the other day, there's a old uh, series that Tom, uh, Tom Selleck was in, and in the series, uh, the person kills someone, and uh, when they get to the crime scene, they find the crime scene because the dog, the person's dog, was laying there by the crime scene, and he wouldn't leave the master who was dead. And uh, when the girl who did the murdering was talking to her beloved, he said, well, why didn't you cancel the dog? Why didn't you kill the dog? She said, I couldn't bring myself to kill a dog. Wait a minute. You just killed a human being. 
but you couldn't bring yourself to kill a dog. There are people in the world who are complex. They can be mean to one and sweet as pie to the other. Uh, when I was in school way back in, in Alabama, uh, years ago, I was in Selma University, Selma, Alabama, beautiful Selma, Alabama, Alabama the beautiful. Little tiny school, sat right there at 1501 Lapsley Street. I, the dorm matron at the women's dorm, back then there was one women's dorm and one man's dorm. The dorm matron in the women's dorm, everybody thought was the meanest person in the world. She was just as mean and surly as could be. I thought she was the most loving person I've ever met. She loved me. If she was cooking, she would send somebody over to the to the men's dorm tell them to go get go get go get jazz and tell them, come on over here. I got I got something for them. And she'd hand me a plate of grits and fish out the side door. Everybody else, because the dorm mate should actually live in the building. I, I tell you no kidding. And everybody else thought she why, why she give you that? Why she nice? Because I'm nice to her. People are complex. That no one is the same. They're different. And you need to understand that complexity when you're dealing with people that a person can be mean over here and kind over here. So don't take the fact that you know them in their kindness to mean that their meanness isn't there. You can only say how they are with you. These boys might have been the nicest people in the world. But when it came to this situation here, they lost their ever-loving mind. Last of the things that I was going to share with you last week, and I put it like this. Purposes can be contravened. Contravened. Meaning, you can get in the way of what God wants to do. Promises are there. But God's purpose can be contravened by your actions. In this case, what it would mean is that God's going to get his purpose done, but he may have to do some work on you to get to the purpose, to get what he wants out of you. And what Jacob has to realize at this moment now is that, okay, this has just happened. You've had something that has intervened. It is, it, is, it is in conflict with the promises of God. I know this is a complex situation. I know that the purpose of God for your life is for you to be the progenitor of this people. But you need to do some things now to realign yourself with the things of God. And because he is who God said he was going to be, and because he wants to be what God wants him to be, then God puts before him the opportunity to be what God wants him to be. I will be what he wants me to be. I'll say yes, Lord, I agree. My desire passionately is to be what he wants me to be. And that's what I'll be. Listen, you have to get to that place. So here's what I want you to understand. God's purpose is upheld by Jacob's response. And there are seven moving parts of their human divine interaction. So what happened, happened. 
And the way God's purpose and God's promises and God's plan have been held together is by his response. And I said there's seven things. So in the next few moments, I'm going to deal with those seven things. The first of which is his sincere conscience. His sincere conscience. And that is his sense of right and wrong. He knows that what has happened is wrong. He knows that what has happened is not good. And while I'll tell you about the way people have treated the text later on, I'll tell you what has been done with the text, let me just start with him. How do I know that at this point he thought this was wrong? He thought this was out of order. He thought this was not in line with what the will of God would have been. Go to Genesis chapter 49, verses 5 through 7. In Genesis 49, 5 through 7, and I believe I'm going to read it in the King James, New King James Version. When you look at there, you'll see on his deathbed, as he is passing out blessings to his sons, when he's about to close his eyes in sleep, he tells us something about what he thought about that day. Here's what he says. Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi, those are the two brothers that went in and did the slaying, are brothers instruments of cruelty are in their dwelling place. Let not my soul enter their counsel. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. That's what he spoke over their lives. He, did, he didn't try to give them some popcorn, sweet, loving uh, talk. No, no, no. Let me just tell you right here. These boys are cruel. They're mean. They're wicked. He says, I want you to understand how I thought about it. Their wrath was beyond measure. Now, having phrased that, let me go here to some of the later Jewish interpretations of this text, which I say may surprise you. The Jewish interpretation of this text may surprise you. Yeah. Because they don't see, some people don't see them as being bad. Some later would see them as being heroes. Uh, there is in the Apocrypha Bible, now for those of you that don't know what I mean when I talk Apocrypha, there are books of the Bible that have not made it into the, what we call the canonical Bible of Protestants, the 66 books. They're referred to as the Apocrypha. There are books in the Apocrypha and among the books in the Apocrypha are, and this is, the Catholics have it in theirs, Orthodox uh, Greeks have it in their Bible. Uh, it is also in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible as a segment called the Apocrypha of the Bible. It, it, for Catholics, it is canonical. Protestants, it is not. 
our King James versions, which most of our Protestant Bible come off of, though it is not. What you have there in, in those books is the story of Judith. The story of Judith. That's J-U-D-I-T-H. Judith. Now that story is interesting in there because there Judith is a daring, uh, beautiful woman, uh, probably a widow, and, and she is upset because the, her countrymen, all of, all of Israel, is upset because of people have invaded them and there are foreign conquerors there. And there's a camp around there. And the general from the camp has, has been spewing out wickedness towards Israel. Now this would have taken place during the times of the Maccabeans. So this is an inner biblical story. So now what you have is she comes up with a plot and a scheme and she decides that she will take out this king and sort of in a David move but a more conniving one she gets herself into the the plan where she goes to his house she goes to his area she puts herself in their community they begin to like her she gets to go in his tent when all of the other people won't be able to go in there because she's gorgeous, she's beautiful, she appears to be unassuming, it appears that this is good. He is half drunk, he's been drinking too much wine, and she goes in there. All the men are fearful, everybody's afraid, she's not scared. She goes in there, and when she gets in there, she catches this Assyrian king, and she takes him, and she cuts his head off. And if you ever look up pictures or depictions of Judith, sometimes you'll see her nude holding the head of a man because she carries his chopped off head back to Israel to all the men and said, is this what you were afraid of? Because they have no leader, they run away and disperse and the threat to Israel is over. Now watch this. I want to tell you that you wonder, Reverend, how does this mix with what you're teaching? Women, come on back. In Judith chapter 9, Judith prays. Now watch this. I'm going to read just four verses from Judith, the book of Judith, and this is in the Apocryphal Bible. And this, and I'm using now uh, the Apocryphal, uh, the New Revised Standard Version, and here's what it says. Then Judith prostrated herself. Now she's getting ready to pray put ashes on her head and uncovered the sackcloth she was wearing. At the very time when the evening incense was being offered in the house of God in Jerusalem, Judith cried out to the Lord with a loud voice and said, now here's the prayer, O Lord God of my ancestors, God of my ancestor Simeon, God of my ancestor Simeon, to whom you gave a sword to take revenge on those strangers who had turned off a virgin's clothing to defile her and exposed her thighs to put her to shame and polluted her womb to disgrace her. For you said it shall not be done, yet they did it. So you gave up their rulers to be killed in their bed, which was ashamed of, their, of the deceit they had practiced. 
was stained with blood and you struck down slaves along with princes and princes on their thrones. You gave up their wives for booty and their daughters to captivity and all their booty to be divided among your beloved children who burned with zeal for you and abhorred the pollution of their blood and called on you for help. Oh my God, hear me also, a widow. Wow. Later Jewish interpretation of some would have been that Simeon and Levi, for some of them, were heroes. They were heroes who took care of the defilement that happened to Dinah. But for Jacob, Jacob repudiates their defilement. Now, which one is the correct way to view it? I'm not trying to display that, but I'm trying to show you how this story moves around in ways. What you have to understand is that Jacob's heart was a sincere conscience. He sensed right and wrong. He, in his mind, this, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't set right. Now, I will tell you now, I can't, I can't be a man of integrity and not point out to you. By the time you get to the Mosaic Law, which I read to you last week in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, you do get a clear understanding that there were to be no marriages made between the daughters and sons of the people of the lands where they were going. That intermarriage was to be banned. And so that what was proposed by Shechem and Hamor would have been a violation of what would have been Mosaic law later on. But you have to understand, for Jacob, his understanding of right and wrong goes now and he says, no, nah, I've, got, I've got a sincere conscience. Number two, number two, let's work this text. Number two, we have straightforward criticism. Straightforward criticism. Criticism that I laid before you just now in chapter 49. This is, this is what, what's going on in Jacob. And I'm talking about the back and forth relationship between him and God. We have straightforward criticism. Jacob said to Simeon, you have ruined me. You've made me a stench to the inhabitants. You've ruined me. You, you, this, this is not right. Straightforward criticism. You need to understand, this is not the how we roll. This is not what I want to be about. This is not how we want to do. And besides the fact that you need to know that we are not in a position to do war with all of these people, should they gather together against us, we could not win that fight. Their response was simply, not whether or not it was right or wrong. Their response was, should we let someone treat our daughter like a hooker? Oh, I mean, it says prostitute. Should we let them treat our sister like a prostitute? Okay. But Simeon and Levi thought they were doing something. But Jacob says, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable on multiple levels. And what Jacob starts to do next 
is in response to what God does. Stay with me. Jacob's response is a sincere conscience. His response is straightforward criticism. To that response, God gives him a response. God does this. God sets a course. God sets the course. Look at verse, look at verse one. Then God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and live there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you in a distant manifestation when you fled years ago from your brother Esau. Here it is, it's important you get this now. You gotta get it in your head, here it is. God sets a fresh course for him. You're gonna leave now, you're getting ready to go ahead, you're moving up to another place, we're out of here, we're gonna make a move. And I'm getting ready to take you into another area because I want to bring you into a place of having a worshipful mind. I don't want this mind that seems to come upon these people here. You are acting in coarse manner. Look, I'm going to have a coarse correction. So God sets a course for him in response to what he has done. Now watch this. And then God says, since you will want to be on this new course, I want a sanctification change. Number four, God wants a sanctification change. Oh, this is getting deep, y'all. Hang with me for a minute. I'm working on something. God says, I want a sanctification change. Look at verse 2. Now notice now, then Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, get rid of the idols and images of foreign gods that are among you and ceremonially purify yourselves and change into fresh clothing. Not only do I want you to get rid of the idols, but I want you to change your clothes. You don't change your clothes without taking a bath. If you, don't, if you just change your clothes, you put clean clothes on dirt. Now I know some of you might do that, but that's not the way you normally do it. You change your clothes when you take a bath. So he, what he's saying is purify yourselves. Get rid of the foreign idols. And then he says, then, I, then let us go up to Bethel and I'll make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I've gone. So they gave Jacob all the idols and images of the foreign gods that they had, the rings which were in their ears worn as charms against evil and Jacob buried them under the oak tree near Shechem. Let me, let me do this real quick because this is, this is getting deep. You're right, you're right, Deaconess. It's getting deep. We're going in deep waters again. They had been in the area of the Havites. They had been in the area of this part of the, area, of, of the community long enough to have started to take on the ways of the people there. They had started to wearing the jewelry of the people. 
There, okay, so this particular necklace will ward off this evil spirit here. These earrings here will ward off this, deep, this evil spirit here. They had started to pick up the worship styles, the wickedness of the others. Let me just say this to you, saints. There are some things you may see the world wear that you ought not be wearing. There are some, there are some items that the world will put on that you, just, you need to make sure you know what you're putting on. You need, before you go permanently trying to tattoo something crazy on yourself, you, you only read Chinese, putting Chinese right now. They could be talking about, I worship Satan on your arm. Listen, you need to make sure you recognize and know what you're doing because there are things in this world that are charms and talismans that are part of a secular culture that have nothing to do with you. He says, take all that mess off. I'm not trying to tell you you can't wear earrings. Don't, don't get that out there. Don't put out there, I say you can't wear a ring. Don't, don't do that, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying know what you're putting on your body. I'm saying know what you're putting on your body. If somebody done prayed over something and done put some kind of, of, of magic spell on it, tell my child this is gonna be for you and you gonna, oh, when you wear this, you gonna attract men. Shut up! You, know, you may attract men, but I'm going to tell you what, they, be, they may come to you like flies, but flies always like doo-doo. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there. What? D, you got to help me here. You, you be careful! Everything everybody else do, you can't do. Okay, I'll come back at that later on. But notice what he does. As a result of what happened there, his response is to not only go and go to make the altar, but his response was to clean up everything. Let's get rid of everything we picked up here and leave this mess. Let's leave all of this stuff, all of these rituals, all the ways they conducted themselves, let's leave it all behind. We're not carrying any of this stuff with us. Let me tell you this, let me tell you this. If God liberates you from certain situations, there's some stuff you need to leave behind. There's some things that don't need to come with you. There's some things that ought not come with you into your new relationship. And again, let me, let me make this a little more uh, of an of analogy instead of just simply doing straightforward as in material things. Look, there's some stuff that was in your past relationship that ought not come into your new relationship. There's some ways you spoke to that old man that you ought not be speaking to this new one. There's some ways you spoke to that old wife or that, that other woman that you ought not be speaking to this new person. There's some ways you have acted around people that in your new life in the new reality of God's doing for you ought to be changed I don't care you you may have the kind of relationship where you cussed each other out every time you got mad at them don't don't come on the new relationship trying to cuss somebody out okay I think you got my expression here number five I said there were seven and I'm at number five number five because of what he does and what he intends to do, then we have in verse 5 the divine response. That's why I said it's a give and take exchange. We have the divine response to his actions. Look at what happens. In verse 5, here we have, as they journeyed, there was a great supernatural terror 
sent from God on the cities round them, and for that reason, the Canaanites did not pursue the sons of Jacob. Write this one down. Number five, supernatural conquest. Supernatural conquest. That's it. Supernatural conquest. That's what they have. They don't have to fight, not because they're moving, not because they're running away. No, they don't have to fight because God fights for them. God sends terror to their enemies. Terror! You don't have to do this battle. The battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. God said, you, you don't even need it. I don't care how many men they have. You don't have to pick up a sword. You don't, you don't have to get one arrow. You don't have to get one fighting man. And nobody has to lose their life. And I'm not taking any more lives from them either. What I'm going to do is I'm going to scare them so bad. They're going to leave my children alone. I'm sending terror to them. Yeah, see, it, it, there's a way in which your your inability to do a thing doesn't upset God because God's ability is greater than your inabilities. What you can't do, God can do. What you can't fix, God can fix. What you can't straighten out, God can. You don't have to, you don't have to do it, God will do it for you. Sometimes you up there yelling and screaming, you've got to learn how to hold your peace and let God fight your battle. I'm trying not to hurt him, y'all. Let God fight your battle. Let, let God fight for you. Let God arise and your enemies be scattered. You didn't hear what I said. I'm teaching in here tonight. Let God arise and your enemies be scattered. Let God arise and your enemies be scattered. Let God, let God, let God arise. That's why you, you have to stop always thinking about what you can do and start realizing who you serve. Because it's not about you, it's all about him. It's not about you, it's all about him. All right, number six. I'm trying to get to the end, y'all. While, while, while God is doing supernatural conquest, guess what? Here's what Jacob does. Jacob does, number six, a sacred consecration. A sacred consecration. God's doing supernatural conquest. Jacob's going to do a sacred consecration. Verse six. So Jacob came to Lutz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, there he built an altar to worship the Lord and called the place El Bethel, God of the house of God, because there God had revealed to him when he escaped from his brother. Listen, 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 listen. While he is doing what God wants him to do, God is doing what he needs him to do. You missed it, let me say it again. Back up, put it to you one more time. While he is doing what God wants him to do, God is doing what he needs him to do. Stay with me, you need to get it in your spirit. While he is doing what God wants him to do, God is doing what he needs God to do. You do what God told you to do. 
You, some of y'all be talking about, well, why should we be up here praying when we need to be getting ready to fight? Because the battle's not yours. Why, why should we be at, <clears throat> building an altar? Should we be building a battering ram? Why are we building an altar? Should we be building a new weapon? No, you do what God told you to do, and God will do what you need to get done, and you can't do. If they had made every person a weapon there, including the children, they still couldn't have changed the situation. I'm getting ready to close, y'all. I know my time is almost up. I hope you're getting something out of this. I hope you're getting something out of this. That, that's right, Deaconess. Get, get out the way. Let go and let God. That's it. Let go, let go, let go, and let God. I'm with you. Yes, we serve a mighty God. Let go and let God. You cannot, cannot, let me just, let me just drop one more nugget on you before I leave. I, let me, I'm, this is just an additional nugget. You need to realize that if you would let God lead and be in front, your worries will be diminished as God takes control. Okay, last one, last one. In response to him building an altar, in response to his, his sincerity, in response to his way of doing, God says, let me confirm your total transformation. Let me confirm that what you are seeing, what you're doing is totally of my will. Let me confirm in you. Let me confirm. That's right, Dr. Darlene, they turned over to God. Let me confirm in you. Let me confirm what God is saying to you. Let me confirm that I'm with you. And number seven is this. We have a spectacular confirmation. A spectacular confirmation. I love this one here. A spectacular confirmation. How, how spectacular, Reverend? God showed up. It, it, you don't get any more spectacular than that. God showed up. Here's what the text says, verse 9 and 10, y'all. I'm, I'm still in chapter, I'm in chapter 35. For those of you trying to chase me down, I'm in chapter 35. We're working through this. Then God, in a visible manifestation, appeared to Jacob again. And he came out of Padram Aram and declared a blessing on him. Again, God said to him, your name is Jacob. Your name is Jacob. Yeah, you are the man. Yeah, I'm with you now. Oh, I'm sorry now. I went to... Must have picked up my wife's cheerleading spirit from young day. Listen, he, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob. I'm confirming this in you again. You're going to be called, but Israel shall your name, shall be your name. So he called it Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. Now he's reconfirming the promise of Abraham. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. And kings shall be born of your loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and your descendants after you. I will give the land. Then the God ascended from Jacob in the place where he had spoken with him. Jacob set up a pillar memorial monument in the place where he had talked with God. A pillar stone there. God said, let me confirm it again. Listen, at that place where God confirmed it, 
God, let me confirm it. I want to do this for somebody now. Let me bless your socks off. I want to confirm in you right now that God still loves you. I want to confirm in you, I don't care what you've been through, I don't care how rough the road has been, that God still cares about you. I want to confirm in you that God has not abandoned you. I want to confirm for you that you are still God's chosen and anointed. I want to confirm in you, I don't care who has rejected you, you have been been accepted by God and it is better to be rejected by man and be accepted by God I want to confirm in you that God loves you enough that he's willing to sacrifice for you you are confirmed spectacularly God will manifest himself and confirm his word in you and that word he'll send out and his word will heal them this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. Woo! Bless the name of the Lord. I feel good tonight. I feel blessed and highly favored. Thank you for joining us tonight. I praise God for each one of you being online with us. I thank you. I praise that you get something out of this word tonight. Look, if you're listening to us tonight and you say, man, that... I want to be part of that ministry. I want to be part of that. I want you to give your life to the Lord. If you have already done that, I want you to be a part of us. Join us as an I member. Call us here at the church at 860-443-6046, extension 110. Uh, email us at churchadmin at shilohcomplex.org. Get in touch with us. We would love to have you as a part of our fellowship. Well, saints, I appreciate you joining with us tonight. I want to thank each one of you again for what God is doing. Let me just tell you this. I will join with you tomorrow online on the prayer call at 1 o'clock. Let's get together and talk to the Lord. But there's also a great prayer call going on on Friday. That is, I think, the 30th. And I will make sure we send a blast out to you. It'll be a one-hour prayer with some of my IBC bishops and, and uh, both male and female going to be online and we're going to be talking to the Lord in prayer on Friday, a time of prayer. So you can join us on a Zoom call and uh, get online with us. Join us for prayer this Friday. I'll make sure that, uh, that uh, Sister Brittany put, sends that out to you all. You all need to join us in prayer. It's going to be a great time for the Lord. Saints, please keep each other in prayer. Hold each other for the Lord. Love on each other. Call somebody you haven't heard from. If somebody hasn't been a part of these Bible studies, they say, well, you know, I just like Sunday morning. You tell them you need to get in Bible study. You need to get this word in you because we're talking some stuff that you may not have heard before. And if you did hear it, you didn't hear it like this. Amen. I hope you join us. Tell somebody. Hey, when you get online, Set up a watch party on your page. Tell people to join you. Let your friends know that you're watching us here at Shiloh and let them know we're, we're studying the Word of God because we want more and more people to enjoy and learn God's Word. Well, I love you. Thank you so much for being with us. Keep us in prayer again. On Friday, we have our prayer call, but we also have on Friday our food pantry. So keep our food pantry in your prayers and continue to support our food pantry. Support our deacon ministry tonight with whatever love gift you'd like. It goes to benevolence offering. Please give as unto the Lord for benevolence tonight. Three ways to give. You know what they are. Givelify. 
cash app or by mail. You need to give as unto the Lord and be a part of this wonderful, wonderful ministry. I'm looking forward to what God is getting ready to do. Again, keep praying for my, my deacon and deaconess Daniels. Keep praying for Brother Gillespie. Keep them in your prayers. The Murphys in your prayers. Keep each other in your prayers. You know, some of you are going through it quietly, but I want us to remember one another in prayer. Some of you are still grieving loss, and we love you, and we want to support you in your grief. Again, we remember each one of you. Please keep the family, Sister Brenda Thomas, in your prayers, and we hold one another up before the Lord. Well, God bless you, saints. It's been another good one tonight. I pray you've gotten something out of it. I've used my time. It's all over. I love you. I look forward to seeing you at the next time. You know we're here first Sunday this week. We're not asking you to, uh, to go in by event uh, bright. You can just come on in, and we look forward to having you come. We'll know when we get to too much. We'll start shifting people around. Let's just have good old-fashioned church this week. Don't forget to wear your mask, though, because this, this virus is not done with us. We got to keep being vigilant. We can't go to sleep now. Amen? Let's stay on top of it. I love you all with the love of the Lord. I'm certain I left something off, but whatever it is, charge it to my head and not to my heart, because believe me, my heart still loves you. And all of you saints who are going through anything, just know this, God has not forgotten you. It's been another one on behalf of the Lord. God bless you. One word benediction, you know what it is. Shalom. <laughs>